Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles. We win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is 365 Sports, powered by Sikkim365.com. Sam, have you ever started a job and then on your first day, like, put your foot in your mouth in a way you didn't understand or expect? Uh, can't say that I have, unfortunately. Yeah. So before we get into this, I'm going to tell you a story. So Owen, our intern started last week, great kid, uh, a good kid. I don't know if he's great yet. I mean, right now he's in good status. One of the first things he brought up, he's like, man, Florida state's overrated. They're garbage. Uh, not knowing that the guy who just hired him and brought him in to be an intern was a, an alum of that institution. So I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to keep him in the hard time zone until Florida state takes an L uh, this year, which I hope doesn't happen, but you know, who am I kidding? Um, All right, Sam. So last week was kind of a mess for Baylor in a lot of different ways. How much of that mess is reparable in a week? Thanks for having me on and reparable in a week is uh, an interesting, uh, timetable for it. I think you will see a much better executing Baylor. Um, the first four drives that the team put together last week, and remember, Aranda said in the post game that uh, they were having trouble keying a lot of their blocking schemes off how Texas State was lining up. There were a few things that kind of surprised them. And I think over the first four drives, they had around like 55 yards total or 54 yards total. From then on, they averaged 55 yards a drive. So clearly the offense found something to move the ball after that. So I do think you'll see a lot better performance out of them, and that's even with the blocking looking extremely sloppy. That's even with the protection issues they had. That's even with them competing with the Fiesta Bowl for how many times can you hurt yourself with false starts. You know, it's offensively, I expect them to be better, and you're talking about Grimes and Mateos, who came in and took the very struggling 2020 offensive line and in one offseason got them competent in the wide zone to the point that that running game was able to lead their way to the Big 12 title. I'm not expecting that, but I expect them to get them competent 
at the very least. Now, defensively is a little bit of a different story because you saw guys like Gabe Hall and DJ Franklin who have been dudes in the defensive line and have been able to hold up against some of the better offensive linemen in the Big 12, just playing way too high, getting pushed back. And you also saw the fact that you lost your top three nose tackles from last year and your top anchoring heavy against the run, two-gapping D-tackle without injured. The replacements inside had a really rough night. And to be fair, that's a decent offensive line. You're basically taking three starters plus the most promising pro upside guy from a FCS team that was a play away from playing for it all last year with the best offense in the FCS. And the other guy was an Oklahoma transfer. So you weren't exactly against the scout team, but you have to be better. I'm expecting them to be a little bit better up front, um, just pad level alone and technique alone, and getting Boykins back will help that. Um, and it'll hopefully help them limit how often those safeties are in obvious one-on-one coverage. So they're playing uh, the one team that you don't want to, you know, uh, have that uh, get-right game come against because Utah is going to be very fundamentally sound, but they also do have a week of film on the quarterbacks. Um, you know, I don't think Cam Rising is going to play in this game. It doesn't appear that that's the case unless everything we've heard is a lie, but, uh, but how do you see them attacking Utah and stopping Utah from attacking them? Well, on each side of the ball, Utah's got really good coordinators and they've had them for a while they've got continuity in the program from the head coach all the way down through the staff and it really shows in their recruiting and player development uh like phil bennett came on and talked to you guys um they've got a bunch of guys where you're like where on earth did they get this kid but they're good um you know (laughs) on the defensive side you're going to see somewhat of a similar tactic style that you saw last week against texas state so Baylor at least has some film on what to go fix because um, you're going to see a fair amount of man coverage. You're going to see a lot of blitzing. You're going to see a lot of smaller, fast guys that want to live, want to live in your backfield. This isn't as much of a read and react defense as it is an attacking one. So I think there's the potential for Baylor to show a lot of what it's learned over the last week there for a more directly applicable um, matchup schematically. They've got to keep Sawyer clean. And they've got to find a way to just get those guys blocked. I think Dominic Richardson showed the ability to get downhill and fall forward if you give him just the bare minimum amount of blocking you need. So I do think if they can just get to a basic level of proficiency, they can potentially extend some drives and make it a little more difficult on the Utes. And then on the other side of the ball, Utah has a really, really good offensive coordinator who was at Vanderbilt when Baylor had that shootout with them in Houston in the bowl game. And what he's really good at is designing plays that stress the defense, but it stresses your assignments. It creates space for his guys. It makes everything look the same. But it's not the we're going to stretch you from sideline to sideline at tempo that they faced last week. This is not an offense, and particularly without, without rising in there, this is not an offense that wants to sit there and throw slot fades at you. This is an offense that wants to run the ball, do play action, have the wide receiver fly sweep, control the back side pursuit on you. And they want to hit play action. They, they want to use controlled West Coast passing concepts. And it's, it's a style of offense that is less matchup dependent, but it puts their guys in favorable spots. So, for instance, like if they were to face 
somebody like an Alabama or a Georgia, it would probably scale better than what you saw happen to Tennessee when they ran into Alabama, for instance, where or Georgia, I should say, where the talent on the individual matchups was much more of a focus than it would be with, say, Utah, for instance. So um, what do you expect Baylor to attack them with with sort with a backup quarterback in? Do you think it'll be much different than if Shapin was playing? I think systematically Baylor's going to be keeping the nuts and bolts of what they're doing pretty similar. But I do think Sawyer opens up things with the quarterback run game in a way that Shapin doesn't. He's a little bigger, a little faster. He gives you the ability to do that. And in 2021, the last time anyone running the reliable, violent offense faced Utah and Morgan Scali's defense, Utah really struggled both with the quarterback read option where uh, Jaron Hall, who frankly is a lot faster than Sawyer, was able to make some really backbreaking plays on that. But they also had a little quarterback draw RPO series where it was either quarterback draw or he could swing past the running back. That hurt them for a good stretch in the second half as well. So I expect that to be a part of the game plan. But really with Baylor, um, it's going to be a lot more about what are you doing to handle your end of the business because you have to get on your blocks. You have to get off of blocks. You have to make sure that your assignment sounds no penalties, things like that, because this Utah offense is an absolute machine when they're fully healthy. But you have two difference makers in Cam Rising and Brant Keithy, who runs like a really quick slot receiver, but he's 230, 240 pounds and can block for you at tight end. Those two being out changed the game for them. I mean, after the initial opening bomb that they hit Florida with that Florida completely misplayed, they averaged under 20 yards a drive against Florida. This is an offense that's usually in the 44 yards per drive range over the last two, three years. So they're definitely not to the level of offensive efficiency they usually are. And I think if Baylor can get a lead on them and make Barnes throw, they may not be as resilient as they would be. And they may not be as resilient for a comeback the way that a lot of the wide-open offenses Baylor faces in the Big 12 might be. Sam, do you think that uh, the heat will affect Utah the way that fans are hoping it will? I think it's an advantage, the fact that you deal with it every day and they don't. But much like somebody going to elevation and playing or any any number of other weather-related considerations, you have to play well enough for it to be something on the margins that's going to make that much of a difference. For instance, on offense, you have to extend drives. You have to stay on the field so they actually have to play because nobody's going to get tired if they only have to play 45 to 50 snaps on defense just because it's a few degrees hotter. But if you're out there for 80 snaps, all of a sudden it makes a world of difference. And in particular, if they're able to make you run all over the place, play after play, it, it really adds up on you at that point. You know, the Baylor team, the the level of offensive line execution that you saw early in the game against Texas State, if that happens, heat won't matter at all. But if Baylor can put together long drives and really lean on that defensive line, it will absolutely begin to start mattering. Because, you know, Utah's without a couple of key defensive linemen. One of their D tackle starters and one of their DN starters, maybe even two, might be out. And when that rotation is a little thinner, that heat can potentially pile up on you. How long will, I mean, say they struggle for the first month, 
do you think that Baylor would would you say that Baylor because right now it might be too early to say they've got a talent deficiency, but do you worry that they might? Um, I go back and forth, and it depends on the position. You know, with the defensive guys, you saw those D linemen that that are returning at defensive end for them. You've seen them play much much better than they did last week. So I don't necessarily think all of it on defense is a talent thing. I, you know, it could just be you haven't been hitting enough in fall practice and you got caught flat-footed and guys were sloppy, you know, or it could be a sign of talent issues. You know, that's going to be something that's not necessarily the number of games, but rather are you seeing a consistent trend and are you seeing it on film where guys are actually taking the right steps? This isn't, oh, a linebacker's head spinning rather than his actual talent level that he'll eventually reach. Um, You know, is it something where he's hesitant and playing slow or is he just slow? You know, is it something where the defensive line is playing with poor pad level or do they literally just not have the ability to anchor? We'll see that over time. And I, I think this team is a lot better than they showed last week. And, you know, you're never as good as you think you are when you win big, and you're never as bad as you think you are when you have a disappointment like that. But they have to play much, much better. The The fan base is understandably very mad. You know, the last two games they went out there after they had a disappointing end to the regular season last year, they went to the coldest bowl game of all time and saw an uninspired performance. And then they came back, and everybody sweats, sat in the hot – eat and sweat sweat sitting in the stadium watching them play uninspired ball against the texas state program that nobody envisioned them losing to yeah uh if when you put it like that sam the 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 swing and weather but the swing and attitude hadn't changed that is that's a little bit that that is a little bit troubling looking forward right because you know if you go back after the texas tech game last year baylor had a realistic chance, had they won the right combination of games, of going to the Big 12 title. Mm-hmm. Literally everybody in their way was on their schedule. TCU, K-State, Texas. All three of them. And then they come out uninspired against K-State. They let TCU come back on them, and then they let Texas come back on them. And then they and then they have the last two games. So people are understandably frustrated, and a win over Utah would do wonders just for the state of the program, the state of the fan base, it would be a sign that they that they can get it back on track because right now the fan base is understandably not very happy. Sam Bradshaw, Sigum365.com. Th- Sam, thanks so much. We'll talk to you next week. Thanks. There you go, Sam Bradshaw. And Jack, you were you were at field level last week. Taken right? Yeah, yeah, I was. You didn't you didn't just tell me you were there and then you know go play video games. No, I've got the pictures to prove it. All right. I mean, just saying, like, anybody could have done that. You're not in Anybody? Them. No. <laughs> anybody? No, you sent me a picture of one of our former interns, CJ, yep. who's uh, who's working for Texas State uh, right now. Uh, but you, uh, you were down there, and this was such a weird, unexpected game. Like, I, I expected Texas State to, like, throw a lot of good shots at Baylor. I did not expect... Baylor to kind of turn and be like, well, that was pretty good. 
and then not do anything about it. Like, that was the thing that was kind of surprising. Did you get a vibe at any point during the game that, they, like, just the the balloon was flat? I mean, I've honestly gotten accustomed to the balloon feeling flat from Baylor, and then they go out there and they, they get the job done. You know, like, it it's not a team full of guys who are, like, crazy hyped about this or that they're they do take on some of the identity of their head coach and like they're just really even keeled they're they're there to do their thing and normally that that means perform on the football field it just this time they went out there and they weren't performing on the field like you don't you don't have to have energy you don't have to be a really show me kind of guy to win but that kind of masked it for me, is, is I guess what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I just think, you know, then they've got a really interesting test coming up uh, on Saturday because Utah is very fundamentally sound. Yes, they don't have Cam Rising. Yes, they don't have their, their tight end. You know, like those things, are that's good in Baylor's corner. I just think that it's those little things that get you beat. Dave Aranda knows this. It's the little things that get you beat. A lot of the time, and Utah does the little things really well. That's why they can be without so many players last week against Florida and physically manhandle them. The reason this game scares me to death as a Baylor alum is because Utah reminds me of Kansas State. And we all saw what Kansas State came into Waco and did to a, to a Baylor team that and a Baylor fan base. I was really excited for that game, like, there was a groundswell to make the administration make it a blackout game. Yeah. They got that done. People showed up. People were ready to go. And then Baylor went and laid a literal goose egg. Yeah. 31 nothing, if I'm not mistaken, right? Yeah. So, you a got, Utah program that... Oh, oh, and an Emory over there, like, reliving their trauma. <laughs> I was at that game, game too. But it was funny. Like you said the score and both of them simultaneously. Here, give me a tight shot. Let me do, let me do a little acting here. <laughs> yeah, that was both of them at the same time. They're not looking at each other. Emery's looking at his computer screen. Owen's just like, now he's traumatized. Yeah. So, yeah, both of them were. And, and so Utah being a program like yeah. that, that. Like they look at the little things, they they care a lot about the little things. They're gonna go in there and they're gonna grind it out. Like that that's what Baylor wants to be. But they got outdone at the own, their own game last year by Kansas State, and it looks like Utah should be able to do the same thing to them this year. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, I like it is weird because there are a lot of like there's high pressure week two games. You know, um, I I was trying to do a like a a, a top five. You know, and I, well because the top five. You know, like Clemson plays Charleston Southern, they're going to look probably fine this week. But oh, real need- quick, Scotty Scotty B said it was a 30, 31 to three. Three, okay. Just felt like a goose egg. Yeah, my bad. <laughs> yeah, we, forgive Jack for forgetting the rando field goal that yep. snuck in there. I think the field wasn't the field goal like sometime in the in the second quarter, and then it was just yeah, that sounds know. right. Because like when it happened, it was like okay, well they got a field goal. Stop here, stop there. Like they're back in this thing, and then it was just, it was just Deuce Vaughn and Will Howard. That might have been Will Howard's first. Or no, did Adrian Martinez play? And then Will Howard come in. Adrian Martinez started. Matt Jones, I believe, because I got video of this. Uh, he like it was a it was a third or fourth and short. 
Matt Jones jumped over the line, landed on Martinez's leg, and Martinez did not return. Yes, that's right. So essentially, Will the Will Howard and era, that was early on in the game. The Will Howard era became the Will Howard era in full. Yes, in that moment, because we we all we all knew like he's been banged up this year, um, and frankly, going into that game, I was like, I hope Martinez starts because I think that gives Baylor a yeah. better chance. He started. Yeah. Baylor knocked him out. Not like trying to knock him out, but all right, you know. Jack, what's your what's your most intriguing game of the weekend? Most intriguing game of the weekend? Oh man, uh, I'm I'm drawing a blank right now, but I guess I have to go with Rule versus uh, Dion. Dion, okay. Just the storylines abound. We, being here in Waco, Texas, have had plenty of experience with Matt Rule, so we know those storylines better than most. So maybe that maybe that's what it is for me, but I mean. I want to see if Dion can keep it rolling. I want to see an old, old Big Twelve rivalry, old Big Eight rivalry. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Emery, most intriguing game of the week. Tulane, Ole Miss. Tulane, Ole Miss in in Nolens. That's going to be rowdy. I think it'll oh, be yeah. rowdy. It'll be it'll be fun, especially yeah. since it's on campus at Tulane. Yeah, which absolutely. is a very interesting stadium. Yeah, um, Jim Barnes, who used to be the uh, volleyball coach of Baylor, was at Tulane, and a friend, a mutual friend of ours, went and. His office, like, overlooks the stadium. And uh, my friend said, like, Tulane's got a really cool kind of setup there uh, for the football stadium. Owen, most intriguing game of the week. Tech, Oregon. Tech, tech and Oregon. Okay. All right. He, and both the guys on the couch over there are picking Tech. Yeah, which is J- a bold move. Jack and I are, are quack, quack, quacking. I'm not even quack, quacking. I'm just, I do not buy Tech right now. I just, we, going into the season, I didn't buy their QB. That That's where I drew the line. They go and they lay that dud up in Wyoming. I'm not buying them against a team that has an actual Heisman candidate on it. Yeah. We'll see. I think it's going to be fun, though. I think it's going to be fun. I think um, I think that, uh, that I mean, it's – I'm going to go with Texas and Alabama because this could be – if Texas loses this game in a close game, obviously it doesn't affect – how you feel about them being able to win the Big 12, they're, they're still very much on that track. But if Texas wins this game, you can start thinking, could they do more than just win the Big 12? Yeah. Could could yeah. they be in the CFP? But, again, you got to get through not just this one, but the conference, which has not been easy for Texas for more than a decade now. So Yeah, and – the thing that I think a lot of people might go to with that is you can look at any individual game in conference for Texas, and it's like, well, yeah, they should they should be the most talented team. They probably should win that game. You stack them up one after the other. It's like you have to get through that unscathed. Or it, if you beat Bama, you can have one loss. Yeah, absolutely. Right? Yeah, two losses in in the Big Twelve that probably knocks you out of the playoff right away. Yep, absolutely. So we'll see. You know, I I am. Um... I don't look any of the games I pick because I picked Colorado, I picked A&M, I picked Ole Miss, I picked Oregon, I picked Bama. Even with Texas playing Bama, and you know that I'm no person who's ever going to advocate for good things to happen in Austin, Texas, and I say that in jest. But, uh, but no, I mean, like I, I'm like I have no problem admitting I'm wrong on any of those things. I'm not going to die on any hills over here. You know, would it surprise me to see A&M go down to Miami and not be ready for that? Nope. Would it surprise me to see Texas roll into to, to Bryant Denny and just have this, you know, 
light bulb aha moment and beat them. Also, also no. Would not surprise me as much as it would in almost any other time period in my life that Tulane would win a home game against Ole Miss. But I just think Ole Miss probably has a little bit too much. Yeah. What do you um, what do you think of the Oklahoma State at Arizona State matchup? I think Oklahoma. I I, I don't know. I mean, I have so many questions because I don't know if Oklahoma is going to be able to outscore them like that. It, it's Oklahoma State's offense versus Arizona State's defense to me. That, yeah, that's the key there. I, I'm curious to see Jaden Rashada week two. Um, they barely got out with their lives against was it Southern Utah last week? Um, you know, Oklahoma State won, but. I don't think that we're. It's just really interesting to me that they're. We know anything yet? They're at Arizona State. I think that that can make up some of the difference yeah. between those programs. I know who Emory is rooting for because they were very mean to him when he was a little boy. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't. Emory doesn't care for the pokes. They're, they were mean to, to young Emory, and if I if I saw that guy, I'd kick him right in the shins. It's right there. If that guy shows up here and yells at Emory, he's getting kicked in the shins. Yeah, I'll grab the baseball bat. <laughs> I can kick pretty hard in the shins. You know what I mean? I don't want like I don't want to like You're a kicker, not a puncher? I don't want to maim I don't want to maim him. I just want him to have a really bad day. <laughs> like, like when he walks around, I want him to get like a Charlie horse and like, it's a stupid guy kicked me in the shin. <laughs> Roadmedianetwork.com.